If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this June 11th. 2018. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about virtually every element of the news from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. In hour number two of the podcast, someone has finally agreed to debate me about the Penn State Joe Paterno, Jerry Zandusky saga, and the results were pretty fascinating, actually. His name is Josh Webb Thompson, a writer for Athlon Sports. Uh, please check that out in hour number two of this week's podcast. Hour number one is when we review the news. And since it's been three weeks, it's only been three weeks. It seems like at least three months, you know, in, in the Trump era, three weeks, it might even be more than three months worth of news. Uh, so there, it's not possible to review everything in the hour or so that we have in hour number one. But wow, uh, it the the speed with which things are developing just seems to accelerate. Uh, it is Donald Trump's world, and we're just living in it, folks. And uh, obviously, as we speak, the, the big news is that he is in Singapore for the big summit with uh, Kim Jong-un. And there are so many elements. I've, I've written a column about the, the summit as well as the, the G7 meeting which preceded it. Uh, at Mediate, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, which I urge you to check out. There's so many elements of this that are just mind-blowing. Just mind-blowing. I can't believe that he's even meeting without any agreement being made to begin with. I mean, if you remember, when this whole thing started, the, the story was that he would meet if... North Korea gave up unilaterally their nuclear program. That was going to be a precondition for meeting. That's gone. There's, this is just a, an equal footing get-together. Giving up whatever's left of the prestige of the presidency of the United States, elevating this evil dictator, this horrible piece of crap. I mean, Kim Jong-un is a horrible human being who tortures people, tortures his own people, has threatened this country with nuclear war. And and we're elevating him. Trump has already called him a very honorable person. Now, can you imagine? This sounds like a broken record, but this time it's really worthy of mentioning. Can you imagine if Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton had decided to meet with Kim Jong-un with no preconditions, with no agreement on his part. Un doesn't have to give, or Kim doesn't have to give up anything in order to meet with Obama or Hillary. Can you imagine the heads of Sean Hannity and Mark Levin and Rush Limbaugh exploding into Fourth of July fireworks over even the suggestion of this. But instead, this is now praised as a great idea. And I think it's a horrible idea. I mean, 
one of the more baffling takes I've heard on this is that, well, you need to give Trump credit for meeting. Why? What? What? Credit for meeting? The meeting does us no good. The meeting, the meeting in of itself only does Kim Jong-un good. We're, we're being brought down to their level. He's being brought up to our level for nothing. He's giving up nothing in return. And by the way, as I write in this column, that's the best case scenario, I think. I think the best case scenario for us is this thing goes poorly and Trump realizes his only good option is to look like a strong man and pull the plug on it and, and leave in a huff and just say, oh, the guy was nuts and I tried, I did my best and we're not going to make a bad deal. I think the worst possible scenario is Trump being way too eager to make a deal makes a horrendous deal. Which, for him, he'll think is good. One, because he thinks any deal he makes is inherently good. Two, because all he cares about is the headline of the day, which is Trump makes historic deal. Doesn't matter that the deal might suck. We get nothing in return or that creates further dangers down the road. Trump, as I always say, doesn't care about the future and he doesn't care about anybody else but himself. That is a double whammy when it comes to a president who is negotiating nuclear deals with deranged dictators. He's effectively like he's got the world's credit card and he's having this big party for himself and he's not going to be around when we have to pay the bill. And oh, by the way, the fact that this comes out of the G7 meeting makes us even more vulnerable to a bad deal. Why? Because Trump had this bizarre temper tantrum and we're now... I, I, this is not an exaggeration, folks. I, I, and it's mind-blowing to even contemplate. But based upon the statements of our president in the last few days, Russia and North Korea are our allies. They're the good guys. And Canada, Germany, Great Britain, and France, they're the bad guys. I, I'm not... I, it, uh, what? He's making it up as he goes along. And that's the other part of this. There are people who think, bizarrely, that Trump knows what he's doing. See, there are two things I'm... I am not a foreign policy expert. I'll, but neither is Donald Trump. <laughs> okay? But I, there are two things I'm positive of. If he was doing exactly the same things and his name was Obama or Hillary Clinton the right would be going bananas. That is 100% factual. And number two, there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that we should be trusting that Donald Trump is playing some sort of amazing eight-dimensional chess and knows what the hell he's doing. He has no idea what he's doing. None. And so I just don't get the... Believe me. Yeah, that's, that's what it's basically up to. You know, just... Believe me. No, I, I just don't think, I think it's more along the lines of... He's making it up as he goes and not. Yeah, because frankly... All I know is what's on the internet. He doesn't know crap. He has no idea what he's doing. And more importantly, his goals are completely at odds with what is good for the world and good for the country. Because he wants the headline. He wants the history. And he needs it even more now that he took a dump at the G7. And, and by this, this dump at the G7 wasn't just a little stinky one. This was a massive dump. And, and I have been trying, you know, it, it really pisses me off when I get accused on Twitter and Facebook of having Trump derangement syndrome. Oh, yeah. Folks, I, I have tried so hard to be objective so hard to give him every opportunity. Even when this whole presidency began, he said, you know, I'm going to be so presidential. I thought maybe some miracle will happen and he will grow into the office. Maybe he's going to be a totally different guy. That didn't happen. And once it didn't happen, he stopped trying and it just got worse and worse. And I've still, I have tried so hard, for instance, with regard to the Mueller investigation, 
All right, is there another scenario here? I mean, he's so dumb. He's so egotistical, so narcissistic. His organization was so incompetent, so disorganized. Is it possible that we're misinterpreting things that for another presidential candidate would be obvious evidence of collusion? Is it possible? And I'm still, I still have my mind slightly open. But folks, everything that's happening is in the direction of, uh, duh, of course Trump's guilty of probably lots of horrible things, whether it's directly collusion or not, we don't know. But it's it couldn't be more obvious. I mean, when you're talking about pardoning yourself on multiple occasions, who talks about pardoning themselves when they're innocent? What kind of a freaking imbecile do you have to be to think that that's not problematic? But that's where we are. And he's being defended by Mark Levin, for fuck's sake, for saying he could, def- he could pardon himself. But when Donald Trump, on, uh, on the eve of the G7, actually says that Russia should be admitted back in, I'm sorry, there is no other logical way to interpret that then holy mother of God, they've got something on him. And you know what the key was? It wasn't the statement. The statement that Russia should be allowed back in the, in the G7, that got a lot of play. But when, if you're a close Trump watcher, what I found most interesting was he prefaced it with, I have been Russia's worst nightmare. Now, that's classic Trump. Why is that classic Trump? Because Trump knows his own weaknesses. And Trump lies the biggest to cover those weaknesses. He knows this. It's been part of his MO forever. So whenever he makes a declarative statement, you know, for instance, nobody reads the Bible more than I do. <laughs> you know that's bullshit. That means he never reads the Bible. And when he, which of course anybody with half a brain would already know. And when he says, I have been Russia's biggest nightmare, if you put that through the Trump translation machine, that means Putin's got a P tape. That's what that means. I mean, maybe not literally, but that, at least figuratively, that's what that means. Because that's the way Trump operates. He believes in the big lie theory. He believes that you cover your weakness with a massive lie. Because no one will call you a liar, especially when you're president of the United States, because the media has is still, for some reason, very timid about that, which plays hugely into his advantage. This is why he's the roadrunner and they're Wiley e. Coyote. They can never catch him because he's always one or two steps ahead, like he is with this bullshit Spygate conspiracy. Because by the time we figure out and we have enough evidence that it's bullshit, everyone's forgotten about it. No one cares anymore. His cult's already eaten it up. They don't believe the media anyway. They don't believe any Republican that says it's bullshit because their God has already spoken. Well, I I don't know how you spin the G7 thing with Russia because not only did they get kicked out for very good reasons in 2014, but what's happened since then? The number one thing that's happened since then is They interfered with our presidential election. Didn't admit to it. And have shown every sign that they're going to do it again. And we're going to let them back in to the G7 when none of the other allies want that? I'm sorry. It is really hard. I'm, I'm open to an explanation. If you got one, send it to me. But what is the explanation there that is inconsistent with the idea that Trump is beholden to Putin in some way, shape, or form. I, I can't come up with one. And so, with this context, I am now greatly afraid. I am rooting. Fox News would say this is un-American. <laughs> I am rooting for failure in Singapore because I think failure is actually the best option we've got. 
because this is a bad deal maker who's going in there like a virgin teenage boy on prom night. He is desperate for something good to happen, and he'll do whatever it takes. Our best hope is that Kim Jong-un is just so crazy that he ends up blowing it up, that he doesn't realize that he has this easy mark in front of him that he could take advantage of. That's our best hope. Now, I mentioned that Trump said that he could pardon himself. There's been a lot of talk about pardons. I wrote a column about Trump's pardon policy and how it is that I think you can pretty much figure out anything you want about Trump by looking at his pardon policy, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com. The most uh, prominent pardon that he he gave, although it it might be close, between Dinesh D'Souza, the right-wing commentator with whom I've had some interaction, and the uh, drug offender, the drug-offending grandmother. I, 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 I kept hearing this. What difference does it make whether she's a grandmother or not? How does the fact how, how does the fact that, that she's been able to reproduce and and the, and the person that she reproduced was able to reproduce? What does that have to do with whether or not they belong in prison or not? Um, anyway, but that was that was urged on by Kim Kardashian, which is I think how we all figured this was all going to play out, right? I mean, Kim Kardashian, a woman who was famous for for why? Well, let's be clear. Uh, she's famous because her dad helped O.J. Simpson get away with double murder. And then she used that infamy to get interest in a sex tape that she made. And that made her famous. And then I'll give her credit. She's done a hell of a job of manipulating that fame into a lot of money. She's amazing at that. Good for her. But that's not the resume that warrants uh, your recommendation for presidential pardons <laughs> ending up in actual commutations, which is what happened in that particular case. But as I write in the column, Trump views the world through the lens that there are two types of people. There are celebrities. They matter. And the bigger the celebrity you are, the more you matter. And then there's everybody else. And you don't mean shit to him. What you say doesn't mean shit because you're not a celebrity. If if you had something important to say, you would be a celebrity. <laughs> and if you're a celebrity, you automatically have something important to say, whether you're Sylvester Stallone, who gets a Jack Johnson. I love that one, too. That's almost as bad as the Kim Kardashian. Sylvester Stallone, famous for pretending to be a boxer, is able to get a presidential pardon for a boxer he never met. <laughs> But then there's Dinesh D'Souza. Now, Dinesh D'Souza is interesting because, you know, I have interviewed Dinesh a couple times. I've driven Dinesh to LAX airport many years ago after I interviewed him in studio at uh, KFI Radio in Los Angeles. I found him to be odd. Um, Although I thought at the time, this was back when he was a traditional conservative, I thought, well, he seems pretty smart. He's kind of an intellectual conservative. And, um, you know, I think he, I, I think he, I thought he was okay. I wasn't a huge fan, but I thought he was okay. Well, boy, did he realize how to manipulate the conservative uh, movement, whatever you want to call it. I don't even know if it's called conservatism anymore. But he has really figured out a way to monetize this. And he had that big hit, the one movie about Obama, which was perfectly timed, even though the movie wasn't that good. And... You know, I've heard some stories about Dinesh that uh, I've alluded to on social media that are troubling <laughs> uh, about his first marriage and he's I, and also about, you know, what his second wife thinks about Donald Trump. I, I believe that if you hook up uh, Dinesh D'Souza and certainly his second wife to a lie detector test, uh, their true views of Donald Trump would be fascinating. <laughs> And that Trump would probably revoke the pardon for Dinesh D'Souza. Of course, it now appears that Trump is getting rewarded for his pardon because Dinesh's new movie, which just got publicized today, has a poster, I'm not making this up, that meshes Abraham Lincoln and Donald Trump. The face of Lincoln and Trump are meshed together in the poster for Dinesh D'Souza's next movie. Just a coincidence that Trump pardoned him. 
That's what a whore Dinesh D'Souza is. And he is a whore. But that's what it takes to make it in this day and age, especially in the so-called conservative media. I view Trump's pardon policy, it's basically like a toddler who has found a new toy that mommy won't take away. No one can take it away. And so he's going to play with this until he gets bored with it. And it's a, it's a terrific tool. At, at any moment, he can distract the media with, hey, I pardoned this celebrity, or I met with this celebrity, and we're talking about a pardon for this person. So it's an instantaneous distraction device. Plus, he can appeal to any demographic group he wants by just picking the right person to pardon. Now, our founders never anticipated this would be the way the pardon power would be used. Otherwise, they might have put some, put some restrictions on it. Over time, many presidents have abused the pardon power, but normally they didn't abuse it till their last day in office. Now we have someone who's blatantly abusing it for their own purposes in his second year. Because, of course, he doesn't give a shit that it might hurt the midterm elections because that's going to be the only time when people can really express their frustration about what's going on, even though it won't stop him from pardoning people, but it's a symbolic voice, uh, which, you know, I'm going back and forth on how this is all going to play out in the midterms. Uh, The polls are going back and forth. I just spent a couple of days at Pebble Beach with my good friend, Democratic Congressman John Yarmuth, His son was getting married, so we played some golf at Pebble Beach, had a great time. But, of course, we talked a lot about the midterms. And I I am in the process of of, uh, trying to convince him of something that is not difficult to convince him of, which is that Nancy Pelosi may end up being the deciding factor here. That if they don't get rid of Nancy Pelosi and make it clear she's not going to be the Speaker of the House if the Democrats take the House, that they may not win the House that Republicans may find some miraculous way to hang on here and actually maintain control of the House. I think if tomorrow Nancy Pelosi had said, you know what, um, I will not, I'm pledging not to run for Speaker if the Democrats take the House, or even better if she retired. I think if Nancy Pelosi retired, I think that it would be a deadlock cinch the Democrats take the House. And they might take the House by a significant enough margin to where they could really do some damage. But um, we had some, I'm sure we'll get John back on the podcast again soon. Maybe we'll get into some of the, the specifics on that. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm very much on the fence about uh, what's going to happen in the midterm elections. But I don't think the pardons help necessarily. I don't think a lot of this helps. And by the way, one other thing, with the, maybe the most bizarre thing that happened with the, the pardoning is that there was a story that came out that Trump wants to ask NFL players who were kneeling for the national anthem who he should pardon next. Now, think about this. He is on this tirade, and I wrote another column, by the way, which you definitely should check out, about Trump's real motivation with his anti-NFL crusade. It goes back to him being a USFL owner. You can find it at freespeechbroadcasting.com, but it's something the media doesn't seem to understand because they hardly ever mention it. But how bizarre is it that... Okay, you're on this crusade against these kneeling NFL players who supposedly don't love America, but you're going to give them the power to de- help you decide who you're going to pardon? What? It makes no sense. He's making it up as he goes and not. He is. And, uh, and it's very bizarre, and it's very frustrating, and it's not as the Founding Fathers intended at all, but there's nothing that can be done to stop him. And um, I wrote another column about the, the Spygate situation, which I've alluded to previously, which I also want you to check out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. And the reason why the Spygate column, I think, is interesting is because it goes back to an interview we did recently on the podcast with Amanda Carpenter, who wrote the book about gaslighting. Because there has never been a more classic example of gaslighting than what Trump did with this Spygate bullshit. And he got caught red-handed, Major Republicans, Trey Gowdy and even Paul Ryan and a couple of others that are on the right committees all came forward and said, yep, yeah, uh, we've seen the information. There, were, there was no spy in the campaign. The FBI did nothing wrong. He's dead to rights on his own party and pays no price for it whatsoever. 
because he is an expert at gaslighting. And he just doesn't care about the truth. And this was a total lie. And I've, I even had Trump cult members say to me, when I, because I, I immediately called it a lie. I said, that's bullshit. There's no way. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. And I had Trump cult members say, oh, well, are you going to admit when you're wrong? <laughs> and of course, when these Republicans come out and say, no, there's nothing here, I get no response from the cult, Trump cult members. No one ever says, yeah, I apologize. I was wrong. I was duped. I was stupid for for believing my orange hero. I mean, it, but, you know, they, they don't he, he, they don't care. I love the poorly educated. Yeah. Believe me. But Spygate was a classic example of how Trump operates with gaslighting. And frankly, I think it, it, very much similar to his statement about Russia being readmitted to the G7. It's really hard. It is really hard to make Spygate fit into a scenario where Trump is totally innocent in the Russian investigation. How do you explain Russia G7, Spygate, and I have the power to pardon myself coming right after each other? I mean, I'm sorry. How do you explain that? There's no logical explanation other than Trump is guilty as hell. And if you look at what Rudy Giuliani is doing, it's 100% consistent with that conclusion. I haven't come to that conclusion yet. I want to wait and see what we're dealing with. I do think that there's still elements of Mueller's investigation that the liberals are way, way, way over-hoping for, over-presuming. I I do not believe that this is going to be a clear-cut, slam-dunk situation. And even if it is, I don't think anything's going to happen. I really don't. Because I've seen this before. I've, I think there are a lot of similarities, by the way, to like, for instance, what happened with the Penn State Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky case. Nobody has the courage to stand up against their own self-interest. And so no Republicans <clears throat> are going to do anything that's against their own self-interest. No matter how overwhelming the evidence may end up being. And so I, I guess I'm going in. There's two things that I've said that I'm leaning towards and, and moving towards the momentum is pushing me towards. And that is continuing. One is Trump's guilt. And two is that Trump's going to get away with this. I'm becoming more and more convinced of both, which seems antithetical, but it's really not. If you understand the way the current world works, I've even written a column comparing Trump's defense here to that of OJ Simpson. I think this is a pretty, uh, prescient and entertaining column. By the way, the part of Alan Dershowitz is being played by Alan Dershowitz. (laughs) The part of Kim Kardashian's dad is being played by Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. (laughs) So, I mean, there's a lot of the similar characters, but there's also a lot of the same tactics. And we know how it worked with OJ. Go after the investigation. Go after the prosecutors. Lie your ass off. Lie about everything. Just lie, lie, lie. Just do whatever you can. It doesn't matter. Just win, baby. Just win, baby. And that's clearly what Trump's doing, which you only have to do. Let's be clear. When you're president of the United States, your party controls both houses of Congress and the Supreme Court. There's no need to worry about being railroaded. Zero. Oh, by the way, you also have state-run Fox News Channel. So you got state, you have your own network. You got Republicans controlling both houses. You got Republicans or conservatives allegedly controlling the Supreme Court. You have nothing to worry about. Unless, of course, you're guilty as fuck, which is what it's looking like. Now, what guilty of what? I don't know yet, but uh, guilty of something. Interestingly, John Oliver on... Uh, HBO apparently made the same analysis I did last night. I haven't seen it yet, but I tweeted an article about it from the Huffington Post. Apparently, John Oliver compared uh, Donald Trump's defense to the O.J. Simpson defense. So I don't know if that was a great minds think alike situation or if I'm getting ripped off from my Mediate columns. But but you can check out the Mediate column at freespeechbroadcasting.com. By the way, that column that I wrote about uh, the O.J. Simpson comparison to Trump. That facilitated the first Fox News television invite that I've gotten in, like, I don't know, it might be 
at least eight or nine years, something in that range, because I've been on the, the blacklist at Fox News for a very long time. I'm sure this was a mistake. But Jesse Waters, producer, wrote me an extensive email inviting me. Not This wasn't just a, are you available? This was, at this time, on this date, we want to interview you about your column comparing OJ and Trump's defense. And I got the email. I'm like, I'm, I'm like this is never going to happen. There is no fucking way Jesse Waters is going to have the balls to interview me <laughs> on this subject. Because I will do to him things that uh, OJ never even thought of doing to Nicole and Ron. I mean, that's how bad it would have gotten, you know, figuratively speaking, of course. But, I mean, the uh, – and, of course, uh, I – I responded saying, yeah, I have some questions about this, but I'm certainly more than willing to do it. Why don't we touch base? And a couple of days passed because it was like a week in advance. That was one of the reasons why I knew this was not going to happen because there was too much time for them to realize this was a bad, bad idea. Uh, and sure enough, uh, I got the uh, the text message from the producer saying that uh, we will not be doing this subject this week with no other explanation for why. Gee, I wonder why. No, I, I know exactly why. <laughs> Jesse Waters chickened out. That's what happened. Not that that was remotely a surprise. I did do one other actual television interview uh, during our the interlude between uh, this podcast and our last one. That was for uh, Headline News. And I barely even mentioned this on social media because it was so bizarre that I was even invited. Somehow, the Headline News show in the morning uh, that um, that is uh, run out of Los Angeles... They have somehow decided that I am the heterosexual white male viewpoint on issues of sexual sexuality or basically if they need someone, some heterosexual white male to say something politically incorrect, I'm the guy. Uh, in fact, I was shocked that they didn't call me, maybe they didn't do the subject, when the Miss America pageant decided that they were no longer going to be the Miss America pageant. Because I thought, oh, the H Headline News is clearly going to call me for this because they're going to need a white male to say that uh, you know they should never have gotten rid of the swimsuit contest. By the way, since I'm on that subject, not that anyone gives a damn anymore about the Miss America pageant, but having grown up on the Jersey Shore, it was a big deal of my childhood. No one has mentioned the incredible unfairness of what they have done and, and the stupidity of what they have done. Not only is it dumb <clears throat> from the standpoint of the history of the, of the pageant to get rid of both evening gown and, and swimsuits, but no one has mentioned that the contest doesn't start in September, you know, the weekend after Labor Day, which was the traditional date for the pageant in Atlantic City, which was always, I always remember this because that was the date that my grandmother would pack up to go home from the Jersey Shore. She would wait until after the Miss America pageant, the weekend after Labor Day, and then they would go back from Ocean City, New Jersey, to Philadelphia for the winter. So that was a big moment. In fact, that's why my grandparents were in uh, Ocean City on 9-11. They were planning on going back from Ocean City to Philadelphia on 9-11. I convinced my grandfather, stupidly, because even I was panicked, to stay in Ocean City and not drive when actually they would have had the easiest drive they've ever had in their lives because there was no traffic that day. Anyway, the point of all this is there, no one in the media that I saw even mentioned that every single one of these state pageants has already chosen their contestants. Not, not, I'm not talking about the state winners. A lot of the state winners haven't been chosen, but those that are competing at the state level have already been chosen via county and local pageants. And what's the major part of those county and local pageants? Swimsuit and evening gown. So, so you've just chosen your pool of people from whom you're going to choose Miss America. And as a large component of that was a swimsuit competition and an evening gown competition. And now you're going to take this pool of people and you're going to completely change the rules. And by the way, it's going to look ridiculous because supposedly physical attractiveness is no longer a factor when I guarantee you the, the 50 that are, make it to the 51, I guess, to make it to the pageant are going to be much more attractive than average because... 
there are no uglies that are in the pipeline. Anyway, I, I just thought that was ridiculous, but that's the world we now live in. Uh, okay, some other things I want to talk about before we, we run out of time here. Uh, Bill, I wrote a column about Bill Clinton and the revisionist history there, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, which I urge you to check out because uh, it's interesting to see how the media has slightly shifted on Bill now that he's no longer, you know, no longer has uh, favored nation status. There's nothing he can do for them. Hillary's not going to be president. Hillary let them down. It's been so long since he was president. But he made some really uh, intemperate remarks about the Me Too movement, but also uh, what I thought was a rather softball interview by NBC's Today Show really had a meltdown over the issue of his Monica Lewinsky scandal. And I, and I list several questions that he should have been asked but was not that, frankly, would have been a much more difficult interview. I mean, the interview he melted down in front of was very soft. He was never asked about Juanita Broderick, who claims to this day that Clinton raped her. And the other thing that I've, it's always frustrated me, it's one of my pet peeves, no one ever asks him about Betty Curry. And you're probably wondering, well, who was Betty Curry? Betty Curry's not someone he had an affair with. Betty Curry was his black female secretary. And what he did to Betty Curry was worse than, I think, what he did to Monica Lewinsky in some ways. Because what he did to Betty Curry was this. His Paula Jones deposition was on a Saturday while president, Bill Clinton's. He gets shocked when he gets asked about Monica Lewinsky. He lies his ass off under oath. The next day is a Sunday. Betty Curry is a church-going older woman. He brings her in on a Sunday morning into his office, sits her down, and blatantly suborns her perjury by telling her all sorts of things about what did and did not happen with Monica Lewinsky that were lies, total lies. In other words, hey, Betty, remember, Monica and I were never alone, right? Wink, wink, nod, nod. Monica never gave me any gifts, right? Wink, wink, nod, nod. Well, what was happening there? The president of the United States was using his position to intimidate his own black female secretary. I mean, I mentioned the black female secretary because it was blacks and women who saved his ass in this whole deal. And here Betty Curry is being made vulnerable. If she ends up perjuring herself, she's going to jail in a rational world, for a long time. Her whole life is destroyed because Bill is intimidating her into telling a story that's not true. And nobody ever mentions this. This was why he got impeached on the obstruction of justice charge. That's what the obstruction of justice was. But no one ever mentions that. So check out my uh, column at freespeechbroadcasting.com about that. Some very sad news about Charles Krauthammer. Charles Krauthammer announced a couple days ago that he will be dying soon. Uh, that he has lost his battle with cancer. His doctors are telling him he only has a couple weeks to live. Like a lot of people, I've always felt that Charles Krauthammer was one of the best, if not the best, conservative commentators on television. This is not to take anything at all away from Charles Krauthammer, but I've always felt that part of the explanation for why he was really good, and this is going to sound weird, but I, you might agree with me if, if you hear me out, is that because he's handicapped. Most, most people probably don't even know that he's handicapped, but he's in a wheelchair. And the reason why I've always felt that this uh, made him one of the best commentators is, and I know this firsthand, especially as a conservative, the first challenge on television, especially in this day and age, especially when you're not a celebrity, is being heard without getting interrupted. In other words, having enough time to make your point. Well, if you've ever noticed, no one ever interrupted Charles Krauthammer. Part of that was because of his intellect and gravitas. 
part of that was because he's handicapped. And nobody had the balls in the studio to interrupt the handicapped guy. So I, I, I actually believe that if Charles Kronheimer had not been handicapped, because he was not a, you know, he was not a quick talker. He wasn't a, uh, you know, a funny guy, really. His points would only make sense if he got 30 to 45 seconds or maybe more without being interrupted. If he was a young, vigorous, white male, fire-breathing conservative saying exactly the same things, I don't think he makes it. Because I don't. I think he would have gotten run over like everybody else did. But anyway, I don't want to take anything away from him. His intellect is extraordinary. His writing was fantastic. He made some really good points on television in a way no one else could, possibly for the reasons I just outlined. And I, I took a little bit of heat on Twitter because <clears throat> I, I tweeted that it's, it's uh, particularly difficult to, to take his impending death when you combine it with the impending death of John McCain because we are headed for a crisis. We are headed for a crisis. We might already be in it. But there's going to be a day of reckoning with regard to Donald Trump and this Russia investigation. That's going to happen. And when that happens, it's going to require some people to stand up. And there are not too many people on the conservative side who have both the credibility and the gravitas as well as the potential courage to be heard in a way that has the truth as its ultimate goal, as opposed to giving Fox News what it wants, giving Donald Trump what it wants, giving the cult-like base what it wants. So when you think, and I have done this, when you think about who are the people who have the stature, the gravitas, the credibility, and the makeup for being willing and able to stand up when that time comes and say, this is wrong. This man should not be president. Well, there are not too many people. Charles Krauthammer was one. John McCain was one. Neither, it looks like, are going to be around when that day comes. That's sad. And I think it's also foreboding because it's a large part of the reason why, not specifically those two, but I think it's, if you think about this as a potential war, when you're losing two great warriors like that in a very small group of people and you need every single one of them, I don't know how you win that war. With McCain and Krauthammer both likely being silenced by the time this whole thing becomes a war, I am even more pessimistic. Not that any one person could do this on their own, but there are only a few people who could make a difference. And Krauthammer and McCain were two of them. And it doesn't look like they're going to be there. Another guy who doesn't look like he's going to be <clears throat> one of those voices is Glenn Beck. Since the last time we spoke... Glenn Beck came out with a big red Make America Great Again hat to much fanfare and made the argument that Donald Trump has been much better president than he feared. Now, um, I, t <laughs> I took some heat on this one, too, because uh, Glenn and I had some interaction on Twitter about this. We took it off of Twitter and put it onto email. Some of you may recall that I've been on Glenn's show many times. Glenn has been very complimentary of me in the past. Thank you for a conservative actually standing and, and, and speaking for principles. That was him talking about me. And I understood better via the emails where Glenn was going with this, why he was doing this. I didn't 100% agree. I actually was asked on... Glenn's show, because he did this just before he took vacation. I was asked on Glenn's show the next, I guess it might have been the next day, the next Monday, 
interestingly, his his fill-in host agrees with me that that Donald Trump has not exceeded expectations, even though the expectations for him have been exceedingly low. But I, I'm in a precarious position with Glenn. One because, you know, way back I did not like Glenn Beck. I thought Glenn Beck was a fraud. Leah Brandon, my old uh, Sunday evening co-host, convinced me or helped convince me otherwise, and my own interaction with him uh, helped me further be convinced of that. I saw the courage that he showed during the 2016 campaign. I went down to Dallas, spent a whole day doing interviews with him and everybody else about a very a myriad of subjects, including the Penn State scandal and about Donald Trump. And also, uh, Glenn has made it very clear to me that he wants to, at the right time, he wants to publish some version of the Newsweek story that I wrote with Ralph Cipriano about the Penn State Joe Paterno Jason Dusky saga that got killed at the last minute. And uh, he's explained to me, you know, why the timing is not right right now, and it makes total sense. But he seems totally committed to doing that. So, you know, I'm not somebody who <laughs> makes deals about my opinions. <laughs> For my wife will be the first person to tell you that. Uh, and I didn't do that here, but I I am in a difficult spot as to where I'm, I guess I'm giving him a little bit more slack than I would other people because of that being part of the context. Uh, it's not because I, I, I don't know whether or not the Glenn Beck, the Blaze or whatever the Blaze becomes are going to publish that or not. I don't know. Uh, and that's not contingent on my view of Glenn and Trump. But I am, I am convinced that Glenn has evolved. Uh, I understand why he has evolved. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. I d- and in the column that I wrote, although it was not directly about Glenn, I do go into depth about why I think that his premise is false. I don't believe there's any evidence that Donald Trump has been better than we feared. And it was particularly ironic to me since Glenn and I did a very extensive TV interview, which unfortunately there's no version of it online. I think it only, frankly, I think it only exists on my DVR. <laughs> it's a shame because it's probably the best interview I have ever participated in in my entire career. It's me and Glenn Beck talking in front of a studio audience for about 45 minutes. And it's fucking awesome. And it's just two guys talking about their experiences and where we are in this country. This was just after Trump took office. And one of the things I said to him, and I thought he really agreed, was it's not really Trump we have to worry about. It's what Trump sets the stage for. And frankly, Trump is setting the stage for more danger than I ever thought was possible. I never thought we would be where we are right now, for instance, with North Korea and Russia. Never thought it was possible. Uh, so I just disagree with where he's coming from on that. And I want to believe that he's being sincere and honest about it. And I'll be very curious to see where he goes from there. But I doubt that uh, Glenn will be in a position to, um, to, to be a major voice against Trump. Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, and maybe I'll be able to convince him. Because if you, if you remember, you know, Glenn did say this about me. Uh, John Ziegler, I, I think he's fantastic. Would have... Would have interesting mind he has yeah well we'll see i'll do i'm doing the best i can that's the bottom line on the glenn beck issue i'm doing the best i can folks but i'm working with very limited resources um a couple of other uh major stories that don't have anything to do with donald trump kate spade and anthony bourdain both uh, committed suicide and i wanted to comment on this briefly although i could talk about this for a very long time And, of course, a lot of people were shocked because they're famous, they're rich, they were seemingly in good health, they were still pretty young. So what's going on here? And, of course, the media's um, narrative is, oh, this is a mental health issue. And as someone who has suffered from depression, I I totally get that there's mental health issues. I get it. Uh, I'm not diminishing that. I, I don't think that's the key issue here. Because as someone who has not only suffered from depression, but who has contemplated suicide on many, many occasions. In fact, after my mother uh, was killed in a car accident in 1994, I basically told my family. I said, 
I'm going to wait until my grandparents, her parents, are dead, and then I'm going to kill myself because I don't want to live here anymore. I have no interest in this. This, this existence is not worth it. Uh, it wasn't just because my mother <laughs> was killed in a accident, but that certainly played a role in this. Um, and, you know, just, it's, I just want to let you know. But I just don't want to do it to them because it's unfair to them. I'm big into my debts, right? So I felt like I had a debt to my grandparents. Didn't want to, you know, uh, have them be alive when I killed myself. But the key to that whole thing is not believing in an afterlife. I grew up in the Catholic tradition. If you believe in Catholicism, you don't kill yourself because then you're going to hell, right? And that's not worth it because <laughs> hell is going to be even worse than earth, supposedly, right? But I convinced myself there was no afterlife. And I, I truly believe that everyone who kills themselves, anyone who's logical about it, and especially if they're not in enormous physical pain toward the end of their life, anybody who kills themselves, for it to be remotely logical, they can't believe in an afterlife. They can't. Or at least they don't believe in an afterlife that's consistent with any major organized religion that I'm aware of. So... I think that's actually what's driving a lot of these suicides. Suicide is increasing throughout society. I am convinced that the Las Vegas massacre was a, ma was a suicide by a guy who did not believe in an afterlife and just wanted to have a party for himself as he went out and didn't give a shit about killing people. It was all like a sport. It was like playing you know, the ultimate video game as you're on your way out the door. So it's not a surprise to me, it's not a coincidence, that suicide rates have increased while the rates of people who believe in God and an afterlife have gone down. That, to me, there is a direct correlation. And there's frankly nothing we can do about that, folks, or very little we can do about that. So I'm not downplaying that Spade and Bourdain were in, in pain. I'm sure they were. But what they did was very selfish, and I have a big issue with the media glorifying them. You know, there was a time not that long ago where there was an unwritten rule that the media never reported on suicides because they did not want to glorify it. Now, not only do they report on suicides, but they, they glorify the person. Oh, it was, oh, they must have been going through so much pain. Well, what about the pain of the 13-year-old daughter that Kate Spade leaves behind? What, what about the loved ones of Anthony Bourdain? I mean, this guy was living a tremendous life. A dream life. Kate Spade, same thing. And I realize, look, life is never as good as it seems. I get that. But it's an incredibly selfish act. And the idea that the media, if not glorifying these people, but certainly downplaying. I mean, no, it's for, forbidden to talk about their selfishness. You're not allowed to say anything bad about someone when they kill themselves. Bullshit. Bullshit. I mean, I'm not going to kill myself uh, as long as I have kids around. As long as I have a relationship with my kids and I'm not in enormous physical pain every day, I would never kill myself. Now, if my relationship with my kids for some horrible reason ends up non-existent and I'm, you know, in my late 60s, early 70s, I can't play golf anymore and I got nothing to look forward to, I would probably kill myself. Because what, what's the point? Well, I'll let people know. I mean, I'll explain it. I just, I'm done. It's over. There's nothing else I can do here. It's not worth it to me. But I will never do that when I have kids that will be harmed by that or anybody else or my wife, whatever, that would be harmed by that. You have an obligation. And if you, and if you don't fulfill that obligation, if you, if you renege on that obligation, you should be condemned. And I said that on Twitter. If I were to kill myself now, I hope I would be condemned. Of course, I would be condemned. Eh? <laughs> because everyone hates my guts anyway. So I have, no, I have no media protection like Kate Spade or Anthony Bourdain. I, I would be a horrible Jerry Zandusky defender who finally killed himself. That would, be, that would be the narrative there. I get that. But I should be condemned if I ever did that. Because it's not going to happen. Uh, real quick, um, Justify won the Triple Crown which uh, I find interesting because just as two things interesting, just as everyone in horse racing was saying that the triple crown was impossible. Now we've had two triple crown winners in the last four years. That's number one. But number two, and I tweeted about this and I got some flack for this. I did find it rather humorous 
that in this Me Too environment, you know, where sexual assault and rape are the worst possible things imaginable and we've all all sorts of allegations, horse racing, and I know this as someone who's lived in Louisville and I've seen the actual places, horse racing is a sport that is entirely based on the act of male racehorses raping female mares. That's the entire essence of the sport. That's what it is. I'm not joking. And yet no one ever brings this up. It's hilarious. And so I tweeted half in humor, half seriously, that in the wake of Justify's winning of the Triple Crown, that American Pharaoh, the last Triple Crown winner, is in big trouble because 36 mayors have come forward with credible allegations of rape, saying that they were forced to procreate with him on video. Which, by the way, is true. And by the way, the number is probably a lot more than 36. But this is what happens, folks, when a horse, a racehorse gets made. They take a mare. They strap her in. She cannot move. Right? She is strapped in and cannot move. They bring a fluffer horse through the door. Some horse is not getting laid. But he's supposed to blow in her ear and get her all hot and bothered. And then all of a sudden, the racehorse, like American Pharaoh, that's what he does all day, three times a day during the season. He comes in, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, rapes her, and then a racehorse is made. That is not an exaggeration. That is absolutely 100% factual. That is the essence of how the sport works. It is based in total brutal rape. And no one mentions this. I just find that, I'm sorry, maybe I have a sick sense of humor. I find that pretty fucking hilarious. And finally, this week is the U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills. As a uh, golfer who's, my golf game is is slowly returning. I, I find as I've, I'm separating myself from the Penn State, uh, Joe Paterno, Jason Dusky saga, my golf game is slowly returning. I think there's a correlation there. Um, played pretty well, Pebble Beach. Finished third in the golf tournament this weekend in uh, Ventura County, here in California. I did not qual- did not try to qualify for the U.S. Open, although I almost qualified for the U.S. Senior Open. I missed that by a few shots, which is pretty sad that I'm now a senior since I'm 51 years old. But uh, here's what I, I think will happen in the U.S. Open. I think that um, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson will both uh, com- contend for the first couple of days and then fade over the, the weekend. Uh, I think that the golf course is unless it's really dry and really windy, which it could be, but unless it's really dry and windy, I think the golf course is going to show how much the game has changed since the last time they had a U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills on Long Island in 2004, and not for the better, because I think technology has gotten to the point where I think even though Shinnecock Hills is longer than it's ever been, that they're still going to eat it alive, again, unless it's super dry and super windy. Um but I'm looking forward to it. Should be a, an interesting time. But if if Tiger, I, I've said that Tiger is a totally different guy now. He's he's played in spurts, very well. But he, it's funny because it, what used to be his greatest strength was he gets in contention and he's the man. Now he gets into contention and he, you know, almost immediately craps out, almost literally immediately. And I I think that's because he's a totally different guy. Uh, mentally, psychologically, and physically. And so, you know, the old Tiger, Shinnecock Hills, would have been a bad course for him. Under the right conditions, Shinnecock Hills actually could be a good course for him, but he needs it to be very tough. He needs the conditions to be, I think, not super tough, but pretty tough. If they are, it could get interesting over the weekend, but I still don't think he's going to actually win. If he did, it would be the greatest story of the of the year and i'd probably end up rooting for it all right that'll do it for this hour number one of the world according to zig podcast make sure you check out hour number two which is a great debate between me and a writer by the name of josh webb thompson on the penn state joe paterno jerry sandusky uh, story you will not be disappointed i promise and as always i ask only two things of you number one please share this via twitter facebook social media word of mouth what have you and number two 
if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep you use sheets, please pay attention to yourself a favor and pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mmm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again? <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.